Hey, thanks for checking out the Reveal Vineyard podcast. Here at Reveal, our mission is simple. Find God, find others, and find yourself. For more information, visit us online at revealvineyard.com. Uh, today is the day, obviously, that we celebrate Mother's Day. Uh, but as a pastor, very difficult um, to preach on Mother's Day. For one, you may not know this, but I'm a dude. That's the first thing that makes it a little difficult. And second, this may surprise some of you, I've never given birth to a child, although I have the body of someone who is currently pregnant. So, uh, but it's a pizza baby. Uh, and so mothers deserve to be praised and, uh, you know, uh, loved on and honored. But Mother's Day, I realize, can also be very painful for some women. And so uh, today, uh, just instead of just honoring moms, which we definitely want to do, I want to honor all women uh, as we look at uh, a title, a message that I've titled Strong, How Jesus Empowered Women. Uh, and also, don't forget, on your way out, if you haven't, make sure you get your family photos. Uh, they are available out in the lobby. There's two stations there. Uh, I am available as a stand-in if you're interested at $5 a photo. And if you don't want me, my face will be superimposed anyways on that picture. So either way, you're getting me. So we're looking at this idea of how Jesus uh, empowered and continues uh, to empower all women. Uh, a while back, I heard uh, John Orberg talk about a book that he wrote that called, uh, it's called Who Is This Man? The Unpredictable Impact of the Inescapable Jesus. And in it, he talks about the influence that Jesus has had upon culture and upon society. Now, in our uh, series, uh, Jesus, the Greatest Show on Earth, we've been saying that regardless of how you view Jesus, regardless of your beliefs regarding him being deity, the Son of God, it would not be a stretch to say, regardless of your beliefs, to say that he has been the most influential person who has ever walked the planet. And Orberg begins to kind of unpack that when it comes to women and how uh, the value of women throughout culture has really changed because of the teachings and the life of Jesus himself. And so a while back I heard him give a, uh, a talk on this topic and I thought it was too good to not uh, share with you. And so today's message is not just for uh, mothers, but for all women, regardless of age, regardless of your stage of life. So let me start by reminding you, ladies, that you are not the image that you see in the mirror. All right, very important that I realize that. You are not the image that you see in the mirror. Now, men, let me also remind you, you are not the image that you see in the mirror, all right? Because we view ourselves completely different, but you are not the image you see in the mirror. Ladies, you are more than a number on a scale. Well, that sounds really bad. You're not more than the number on the scale, but you're more than whatever that number shows you. Uh, you are more than the meals that you prepare. You are more than the home that you keep. You are more than the shallow standards that culture will try to place upon you. And while I think many uh, would agree with this, often I think, like the rest of humanity, male or female, there are two competing voices that take place within us. Take a listen to this. This womanhood, it is a vortex, a vacuum, a black hole of displeasure, discomfort, and a lack of identity altogether. There is no womanhood. But a pile of pressures and expectations beyond what God intended us to bear. I'm every woman. Here's every woman. I'm skinny. Too fat. Successful. 
Wish I had more designer bags, clothes, shoes. Smart? That girl is brilliant. I look stupid next to her. Talented. I need to spend more time on Pinterest. Crafting, creating, dazzling. Pretty. Forgot my makeup again. I look like a hag. Pretty. Yay, I remembered my makeup today. I don't look a thing like that cover model on the magazine. Summon Summon the the Kraken. Kraken. Happily married. I'm so bored. This cannot be what I'm stuck with. A good mother? These minions, they're driving me crazy. Shut up, shut up, just for one minute. I'm every woman? Baloney. Why can't I just be one woman? The one Christ intended. No, not that Proverbs 31 image of a poetic giant that even David cannot slay or step up to into battle. No, the one Christ intended when Paul spoke about our freedom. The one Christ said was blessed for simply sitting at his feet. The one he appeared to at the tomb. The one who finally got the word before the men of that culture. The one that he overturned tables for, ushering us into his presence. I may not be every woman, but I'm his woman. This Mother's Day, break the mold. Be one woman. Be you. It might surprise you. It might surprise you that Jesus actually had something to say about how women view themselves and how they are viewed and judged in culture and society. Jesus was born into a patriarchal, patriarchal society or social system where men held authority over women in all aspects of life. Now when you read the New Testament, you need to read it through that filter because there are some very enlightening things that begin to take place when you realize what society, what culture was like in that first century time. In the Gospels, we see Jesus engaging and interacting with women in a way that was unheard of and for some was even considered scandalous. What's interesting is that not only did Jesus shape culture, but his elevation of women in a male-dominated society actually helped propel the Christian message forward. In his book, The Rise of Christianity, sociologist Rodney Starks is asking this interesting question. He says, how was it done? How did a tiny and obscure messianic movement from the edge of the Roman Empire become the dominant faith of Western civilization in only a few centuries? And he gives two uh, significant factors that accelerated the growth in the early church. The first one was this idea of compassion towards outsiders, that the church embraced everyone, even those whom the rest of society has marginalized or forgotten. In, in one of his quotes that he said was this, is that Christianity revitalized life in Greco-Roman cities. To cities filled with homeless and the impoverished, Christians offered, Christianity offered charity as well as hope. To cities filled with newcomers and strangers, Christianity offered an immediate basis of attachments. To cities filled with orphans and widows, Christianity provided new and expanding sense of family. To cities torn by violent ethnic strife, Christianity offered a new basis for social solidarity. And to cities faced with epidemic fires and earthquakes, Christianity offered effective nursing services. So it says the first thing that propelled the message forward was in their treatment of outsiders. And the second thing that he said that propelled the message forward was Christianity's treatment of women. He describes the treatment of women 
And one of his quotes in his books, he says, Girls received very little or no education. Typically, Athenian females were married at puberty or often before. Under Athenian law, a woman was classified as a child regardless of age and therefore was the legal property of a man at all stages of her life. Males could divorce simply by ordering a wife out of the household. Moreover, if a woman was seduced or raped, the husband was legally compelled to divorce her. It's interesting, in this society, uh, there was a shortage of women, about 140 men to every 100 women, which makes us ask the question is, where did the females go? Because of the value that society placed on the male child, a female baby often went uncared for and was left to die. This practice was not even covered up or looked down upon, it was just openly embraced as part of society. A letter that was written around the time uh, uh, when Jesus was born, it was from a man to his pregnant wife, reflects the cultural attitude of this period of time. It says this, as soon as I receive payment, I shall send it up to you. If you are delivered of a child, in other words, if you have this child before I come home, he says, if it is a boy, keep it, if a girl, discard it. He says, you have sent me word, please don't forget me. And he responds and says, how could, I forever, how could I ever forget you? I beg you not to worry. And it's odd because you see a loving husband saying, don't worry, I will never forget you. And out of the, the same sentence is, if you have a boy, keep it. If it's a girl, just cast it aside. The supposed law of Romulus gave fathers the legal right to raise one daughter. And after that, they had the choice either to raise their uh, other daughters or they could discard them and leave them to die. In the city of Delphi, ancient records show that out of 600 families who lived in the city, only six raised more than one daughter. Out of 600 families, only six raised more than one daughter. And so the question is, what do you think changed this type of thinking throughout society? Why did the disposal of female babies eventually stop in ancient Rome? It was the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of those who were his followers, those who were part of the church that stood against abortion and infanticide. The idea uh, was not birthed in the halls of government. It was not birthed out of the uh, social thinkers, but that it was birthed out of Jesus and his teachings that all people are equal and then carried on by those who were in his church. Interesting that within the church, women were not merely tolerated within the Christian community, but they actually assumed a position of importance and even leadership. In Romans 16, 2, Paul specifically highlights our sister Phoebe, who played a very vital role in the formation of that church. Clement of Alexandria, uh, in the uh, fourth uh, council of Chalcedon, they talk about the qualifications of women deacons or women leaders in the church. In Rome, by law, uh, aside from the church, by law, if a woman did not remarry after two years of a husband's death, then they were uh, actually looked down upon because they became a burden on culture and a burden on society. And so you see this duality of how the church began to embrace women and yet how culture began to continue to isolate women and really kind of uh, uh, push them down and push them to the margins of culture. But within the Christian community, women were not fined, they were not uh, looked down upon, they were honored, they were prized, the care of widows, it all marked part of the Christian community. Any 
uh, wonder, is it any wonder that women, when they saw the love and the purpose and the care and the honor that was demonstrated by the early church, they flocked to this new religion to be a part of it because it was unheard of in that day and in that culture. But it was an uphill battle. Women of that time had few, if any, rights. Surviving early records from civilizations throughout antiquity, uh, from ancient Greece and Egypt and China and Rome, suggest that women's role differed very little from region to region. And there were few exceptions to this. Most women uh, of the period were generally limited in education and mobility as it, as it was thought to interfere with domestic or childbearing responsibilities, meaning the, the, the number one uh, role of a woman was simply to keep the species going. Now there's an interesting account in Luke 11 that I want to read you and we'll kind of unpack it. And you're going to see how Jesus kind of flips this thinking that the, the number one value of a woman is childbearing. Luke eleven twenty seven. While Jesus was saying these things, he was teaching. One of the women in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nurse. Now this was common thinking of the day that if you were a woman, you were blessed, even doubly blessed if you gave birth to a male child. In some cultures, a mother of a male child was actually giving more, given more food than a mother of a female child. So this woman in the crowd yells out, Jesus, blessed is your mother. And I want you to look how Jesus responds. You would think he would say, yeah, mom, she's fantastic, love her. Here's what he says in verse 28. But he said, on the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. Now, this may seem like an ouch moment, Jesus kind of dissing his mom, but it's not at all what, what he was doing. He was trying to make a point by saying, listen, I understand that culture says that the highest value of a woman is to give birth to a male child, but, but look, there's, there's something that's far more important. He says, on the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God. He's making a point that the highest calling on a woman's life is no longer to simply reproduce the species. He was saying, motherhood, look, yeah, a noble cause, a noble calling, but it's not the ultimate calling. Jesus had something to say and speak into this culture that if you do not have a child, you have not missed out on God's ultimate purpose and call for your life, which was unheard of. And so I want you to feel the tension of someone in the crowd that says, blessed, is like, no, 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 that, that's not your ultimate purpose, that you can be childless and you still have not missed the ultimate call of God on your life. And if you do have a child, that child, as great as they may be, male or female, is not what should ultimately define you. When Jesus was brilliant in how he kind of pushed against society and pushed against culture. Then he was saying, listen, this ultimate calling is available to any woman, regardless of age or education or marital status, motherhood, attractiveness, wealth, body image, childbearing capacity, doesn't matter. Your highest, your highest is that you hear the word of God and that you respond to it. One day Jesus was in the home of Mary and Martha. You probably know the story. And Martha was doing all of the work and she's running around and she's tending to the house and she's preparing the meal and... But she had a no good lazy sister whose name was Mary. And she went to Jesus and she began to complain of her no good lazy sister and, and, and starts to say that, look, Jesus, I'm doing all of the work and Mary is doing absolutely nothing and Martha was having an issue with this and she wanted Jesus to tell her sister, get busy and start doing what women are supposed to do. That means tending the house and preparing dinner and do women's work. And notice what Jesus says. 
At, at, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, now catch this phrase, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. So Martha's upset, complains to Jesus, and then Jesus responds, uh, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. Anytime Jesus says your name twice, you know something's coming. He says, you are worried and upset about so many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. In other words, he's saying, look, there's only one thing that really matters. And he says, your sister Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, most commentary that you read on this passage is about how it's good to not be overly busy. That, hey, it's better to be a Mary instead of a Martha. That, that ladies, you know, you can run and scurry around, and you can do all this stuff, but you can miss the more important stuff, and that's often part of the uh, commentary that we're hearing on here, that it's better to be quiet and complete, uh, uh, con- uh, contemplative and, uh, you know, rather than an activist running around like, 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 a, uh, like the sister. But it was deeper than that because no one in the first century would have read this passage and thought, no, Jesus wants us to not be busy. No one would have read it like that. First century hearers of this story or those who read uh, later from the uh, assembly of the New Testament, no one would have read it that way. Here's how they would have read it. Uh, women were not allowed to study Scripture or then called the Torah uh, and it was forbidden. Matter of fact, a famous rabbi by the name of Eliezer uh, put it sharply when he said this. Rather should the words of the Torah be burned than entrusted to a woman. Whoever teaches his daughter the Torah is like one who teaches her lasciviousness. Now, what's interesting is in this passage that phrase, who sat at the Lord's feet. Now, those who would sit at someone's feet would be a male student of the rabbi. And that's how they learned, and that's how they acquired knowledge. And it was socially acceptable that if you were learning as a male, you would sit at your rabbi's feet and you would soak in their knowledge. And it's interesting that the New Testament uses the phrase that it was a woman who was sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to what he was saying as she was being educated on the things of God. In other words, Martha was doing what was culturally expected of women, worry about the household. And Mary was doing what was culturally valued and expected uh, in a man. And yet Jesus was not only okay with what Mary did, but actually praised her for doing it. See, if you read the New Testament through this lens of how women were treated, you begin to see that Jesus pushed against the cultural norm of how women were viewed and how women were really strangled in society. And so Jesus praises Mary for sitting at his feet and learning, which was traditionally only a male's actions. Luke 8 uh, speaks of Jesus on his travels. It says this, after this, Jesus traveled from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. We've talked a lot about the kingdom of God. You'll see it throughout the New Testament, that idea. The twelve were with him, meaning his disciples. Now catch this part. And also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons uh, had come out. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, and Susanna, and many others. These Now catch this part. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Now again, we read that and we think, oh, it's just women going out and ministering. Unheard of in this culture, right? These women were traveling, not only traveling with, 
but were supporting Jesus in his ministry out of their own means. Now, this would have been scandalous to this society. Respectable women were encouraged to be indoors. Respectable women were encouraged to remain out of public sight. Uh, much of, uh, in, in this time, much of who played the parts of women, I mean, you've heard things about uh, males who played the parts of women, but uh, also it was often those who were lower parts of society, slave women or even prostitutes, because dignified women would not be seen in such a role or seen out uh, even in public. But Jesus invites not only men to partake in the ministry with him, but he partakes and asks women to partake in the ministry who travel with him. It is so countercultural that not only uh, were women traveling with them with men, which was unheard of, but they were supporting Jesus in his ministry. And Jesus says, I have no issue with this. No problem with what, what is taking place here. He established an entirely different community where men and women lived, worked, ministered, and celebrated together. We see that Jesus gave dignity even uh, in the way that he approached sexuality. The Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus is speaking and he says, you've heard it said to not commit adultery. Uh, that ring just bounced down there. If it's yours, it's on the floor now. Uh, he said that you should not commit adultery. But then he says, but I take it a step further. Do not even use women as an object of sexual gratification. Right? He talks about this thing, lusting in your heart. Now back then, there was a double standard that existed between uh, men and women throughout culture and even into public laws. And there are times in the ancient world that adultery uh, was a public offense. Yes, it was considered uh, a you know, a, a crime of sorts, but it was often far worse for the female than it was for the male. Prostitution was widespread and carried at times no moral stigma for the man, but carried great moral stigma when it came to the women. Sexual exclusivity was not the norm among men in the Greco-Roman world, but sexual ex- exclusivity was expected of the woman. And so you see this duality that was taking place of men get away with this and women get away with nothing. And then Jesus steps in and he changes all of that. Matter of fact, it was illegal at times to sleep with another man's wife, but only because she was considered the property of her husband. And so to do such a thing was not a moral failing, but adultery was considered a property crime. That you did, you took my property. Now, as a side note, Sheila and I were married. She told me that she too considered adultery a property crime, and that if I did it, she made it very clear which piece of property I would lose. So, moving right along. <clears throat> Sorry, just erase that from the notes. So, through Jesus came the idea that sexual fidelity was to be a mutual covenant between a man and a woman. That's not the way it was viewed in society. And his teaching eventually won the day. Through him came the teaching that double standards of morality among male and females violated God's will for humanity. It was not normal of the day. For example, Aristotle, uh, earlier, years earlier, dominant thinker of the Greek world, he says marriage could never be a love between two equals because women are deficient. And Jesus said, no, 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 we're, we're, we, have to, we have to change all that. It's between two equals that become one. We're a month away from Easter, and it's interesting about, uh, what's interesting about the resurrection is the role that women played in the resurrection. All four Gospels tell us that it was the women who followed Jesus to the cross when the man, kind of the men, they went underground and hid, and yet the women are there weeping at the cross and followed him, followed him there. It's just an interesting side note. 
More importantly, the task of being a witness who proclaimed the resurrection was first given to women. They go down to the tomb and they're distraught and uh, in tears and they arrive and the stone is rolled away and, and the angelic being says, why are you looking for the living uh, among the dead? And this idea that Jesus uh, came out of the grave and then later, uh, as they're wandering around kind of bewildered, it says that Jesus appeared to them and his first words, if you read in the book of Matthew, his first words to these women was, greetings. Which I'm thinking... Man, it's kind of like, that fell a little flat. Don't you think, Jesus? is like, you just came back from the dead. You probably could have said something a little bit better. Matter of fact, there's an old story of a Sunday school teacher teaching a bunch of children about the resurrection. And she said, and who knows what was the first words that Jesus said to his disciples. And one little girl raised her hand. She said, I know. Ta-da. Now that would have been, that would have been a good first word. You know, like, said, greetings. Ta-da. You know, something like that. That would have carried a little bit of weight. And so he, uh, he appears to the women, greeting, he tells them. Now, here's the interesting part. What Jesus says next is almost scandalous for the day. But we miss it because we read it through our Western lens. He says, now you, telling the women, you go tell my male disciples what you have seen and what you have heard. In other words, you go and tell them that I once was dead and now I'm alive. Now Jerusalem was a powder keg and it was ready to blow, right? There's this great conflict. Jesus was just crucified. Uh, he's put into the grave. The powers that be think that this, this Christianity movement is finally dead. And to women, Jesus gives the dangerous assignment to go spread the news to the world. What's interesting in ancient times, women's uh, uh, testimony was not even valid or binding in a legal proceeding, proceeding. So it's very interesting that Jesus chooses women whose testimony was really without value and says, I want you to go and you share your testimony with the men of what you have just seen. Now, uh, in fact, uh, uh, Celsus or Celsus, depending on how you pronounce it, is a Roman historian who wanted to uh, discredit the story of the resurrection. Uh, on which Christianity is based, and here's what he said. He said, the resurrection rests on the tales of hysterical females. Now, if you heard that in a male-dominated society, patriarchal society, you would have said, oh yeah, you can't trust anything that those women said. They're crazy. And that's what he was trying to, to do, was to discredit this whole idea of the resurrection because the whole resurrection, it rises, it rides on the, the, the tales, hysterical tales of females. Now, listen, here's a side note. You can have great confidence that the resurrection is not a made-up story because someone in this era trying to convince the world of a hoax would have never, ever had the idea of women being first to the grave and the first to see the resurrection. They would have never done it because immediately when you put women in that position in this culture, the entire testimony is dismissed. And so it's interesting that, that, that Jesus, God, chose, choose, takes women to be the first to hear the story. So what happens? They go back and they tell the disciples. And the disciples, the Bible tells us in, in the book of Luke, that the, the disciples said it seemed like nonsense. Which you can kind of see that old thinking creeping in. And the disciples are like, ah, there's crazy women here, right? And then later, Jesus appears to the disciples, right? Ta-da! Now, it could have been the biggest I told you so moment ever with the women who are trying to tell the disciples they're thinking they're crazy and Jesus finally appears and I can see the ladies being like, mm-hmm, I told you so, right? That's the first I told you so that ever shook the earth. And so, 
this is the, really, I think, the honor that God placed upon uh, women in even on the resurrection. Now, unfortunately, the world is not caught up to the teachings of Jesus. Uh, Nicholas Kristof in the New York Times said this, that due to the preference of boys, 100 million women in China and India uh, who should be alive today are missing. In many parts of the world, this idea of having giving birth to a female is still looked down upon, and they are left to perish, uh, and they are kind of written off. And this is still taking place. In India today, there is such a problem that there is a deficit, uh, a gap of some 40 million women. India's child rights organization called CRY, uh, the founder uh, said that over 8% of the girls born in the country died before their first birthday. Left alone, malnourishment, uh, just kind of written off. Malnourishment being that the mothers didn't even try to feed them. The binding of feet of women in China, the practice of genital uh, mutilation upon females in Africa, polygamy, uh, lack of education in parts of the world, believe that it's sinful for a woman to be educated. Uh, I mean, this, this is, what I, what I want you to get and understand, is that this is the world without the teachings of Jesus. Now, regardless of what you may be here, and you may not be sure that Jesus is God, but the world apart from Jesus, and you see it in certain pockets of society even today, the world apart from Jesus, the dignity of women looks drastically different when Jesus is removed from the situation, right? Just go to the Middle East and you see it everywhere. This is the world without Jesus. Unfortunately, though, it's just not other cultures, but it's our culture that is still guilty of this. Placing pressure and shame upon women and girls alike, eating disorders in our country, women outnumber men, it's 10 to 1. Um, girls as young as 8. Our culture sells women on this idea that your value is based upon how many heads you turn in the gym. And men, in some way, directly or indirectly, you know, we, we kind of play a part in that, unfortunately. And yet we see that Jesus demonstrated that all of God's creation, male and female, are more than what you see in the mirror. And you are more than what culture will place upon you, that there is something in you that is an image bearer of God. And because of that, male, female are seen as equal in the eyes of their creator. And this double standard that exists between man and woman, Jesus says, let's do away with it. Matter of fact, he goes as far as to say, men, how about, here's a new idea, why don't you start to love your wives as Christ loved the church? That's a heavy statement because how did Jesus love the church? He died for it. He sacrificed his own feelings, his own will, his own desire. Remember in the garden, he said, hey, Father, if there's any way that this cup can be removed, then let it happen. Like, I'm not looking forward to this, so if you can do this another way, then so be it. And then finally he says, but not my will, but your will, and he goes to the cross. So Jesus says, Ben, you want to know how you should, should start loving your wives? You should love them as I love the church. And the way I love the church is I sacrificed my own feelings, my own desires for that which was for the betterment of my wife. I mean, that's a strong statement that Jesus places upon us. Dorothy Shares says this. We'll close with this. She says, perhaps it is no wonder that women were the first at the cradle and the last at the cross. I mean, they left, they stayed at the cross last. They had never known a man, uh, a man like this man. There has never been such, uh, uh, there has never been such another. 
a prophet and a teacher who never nagged them, never flattered or coaxed them or patronized, who never made jokes about them, never treated them as either the woman, God help them, or the ladies, God bless them, who rebuked without demeaning and praised without condescension, who took their questions and arguments seriously, who never mapped out their sphere for them, never urged them to be feminine or jeered at them for being female, who had no axe to grind and no uneasy male dignity to defend. Listen, this is the role of Jesus upon culture and upon society. And so as the pastor of this church, uh, I want to make it clear that, um, uh, ladies, you are not secondary in this church, but you are an integral part of what we want to be as a church, meaning that you, your pastor, you are released to function and serve in all areas of ministry and all areas of leadership across the board. And there are some that would say, well, women can't do certain things and can't do this and can't do that, and we can discuss that whole uh, interpretation of some of the, the passages in the New Testament, which is, you know, an occasional document and some great, you know, discussions that we can have. But it is my belief that women today within the church should step in to whatever the call of God is upon their life and to step into that with full conviction, full authority, and full desire to be pleasing to the God who has released you and given you the gifts and talents that reside within you. So whatever that looks like for you, we go back to the beginning of that reading. My prayer for you is that you would not be every woman, but that you would be the woman that God created you to be. And sometimes that's a journey to discover what that is. And I pray that Jesus would lead you on that journey to discover who it is that God has made you to be. So all the women, I'm going to ask that you would stand regardless of age, regardless if you are a mother. We want to bless you and I want to pray for you right now. And uh, all of the men, if you would uh, join me in uh, just blessing the ladies. Lord, standing here are a wide range of ages and various stages of life, and some who are mothers and some who may never be mothers, some who are grandmothers, some who stay at home and some who go out of the home to work. But whatever the stage of life, we, as the men of this church, we want to bless them. And I want to speak that blessing from you upon them to step into the person that you have created them to be, that they would find themselves. And I pray that you would begin to enlighten them as to what that looks like, that they would not live under the goals or agenda of anyone other than you. I pray that you would bless them by speaking over them the words that are needed to be heard today. And I pray that you would bless them abundantly on this day. I pray that you would fill their spirits with the Holy Spirit of God. I pray that you would uh, enlighten their minds with the, the truth of God and that you would fill their soul with the Spirit of God, that the peace of God would surround them. I pray that in whatever situation they may find themselves in today, that whatever uh, uh, position or, or stage of life they may, uh, circumstances they may be living in today, I pray that the Holy Spirit would just surround them and breathe peace and hope upon them. I speak that blessing upon you, the blessing of God who shines his face upon you. 
And I pray for uh, the, 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 the woman who might be weary and tired and doesn't know how they can continue. I pray, God, that you would fill them with strength that is beyond their own, beyond themselves, that they would experience the truth of what Paul says, that when I am weak, I am strong. And finally, I want to bless you to take off the yoke that culture places upon you. Jesus says it this way, that if you, uh, that come to me all who are weary and carry a heavy burden. And then he says, take my yoke upon you because mine is easy and its way is light. Jesus says, look, if you're going to hitch yourself to any wagon, hitch yourself to me. Because what I place upon you is not like culture and not like society. What I place upon you is light and it is easy. And so I bless you to step out from under that magnifying lens and that heavy weight of society and to step into Jesus whose way is easy and whose burden is light. And so we bless you today, all of the women of our church, regardless of age, regardless of stage of life, we bless you abundantly. In the name of our great and loving Savior, Jesus, we all pray. Amen. Amen. Ladies, God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Enjoy yourself. I look forward to seeing you back uh, next week. Bless you all. Hey, don't forget your uh, photos out there in the lobby. Catch them on your way out, and uh, we'll have those for you in a week or so.